Nate Flex-Clark, and you're listening to the New York Public Library Podcast. We have some really, really fantastic playwrights on the show today, Terrell Alvin McCraney and Donye R. Love. Terrell Alvin McCraney is an Oscar-winning screenwriter in addition to being a playwright. He wrote Moonlight, which is based on his play, In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. Another play of his, Choir Boy, is opening on Broadway in January. Donye R. Love is the author of the award-winning play, Sugar in Our Wounds, which opened this summer in New York. The two of them spoke with another playwright and also NYU professor, Michael D. Dinwiddie, at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, and they talked about what it's been like to bring the experiences of queer black men into the theater for both of them. Good evening. Okay, so I think we're going to start a little different tonight. Uh, we're going to start with a song. You only have to sing two lines. Okay. I'm going to lead it off, and then you just sing the two lines. You guys have to join in, too, okay? I can't sing. Oh, don't, then. Neither can I, but okay. Get ready, ready. You didn't have to love me like you did, but you did, but you did. They can't sing either. You didn't have to hold me like you did, but you did, but you did. Yes. Okay, so. Whoever that is. In the yes, thank, thank you. you. We got one out there, but I just want to say... That's the message Come for through. what you write and the love you bring in your work to all of us. So I just want to say I thank you. Oh, too. thank That's you. Where we got to start that was off. So we got to start off with a song. You know, That's so dope. Well, your work is like music. Who doesn't love a serenade? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Even if it's a song that people don't sing that well. That's but, all right. Uh, but uh, close enough. So the first thing I want to ask you is, um, who are the writers? that influenced you, the playwrights? I know James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, et cetera, but who are the writers you kind of grew up on that, they really, that inspired you to say, I'm gonna be a playwright? Okay. <laughs> um, I was deeply inspired by uh, Tennessee Williams. Okay. Um, I love stage directions and just how, <laughs> how he uh, referred to stage directions as love letters to an audience. Um, so that just really connected with me. Uh, August Wilson, um, uh, Lorraine Hansberry, and this moment is a complete gag uh, for me because one of the um, most influential and inspiring uh, playwrights for me uh, is this man right here. Yes. So oh, that's sweet. seriously, seriously, so that's why this moment means so much to me right now. Mm-hmm. But. That's really kind of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the truth, so thank you. All right, mm-hmm. I'm blessed. For real? No. You can't tell because I'm. Yeah, we can tell. We can tell. <laughs> I can see the ears. Melanin. <laughs> um, you said what? Who inspired you? Who are the playwrights, the writers who inspired you? Uh, there's a lot of love yeah. going on. So I was like, dist- I get distracted real easy when it's okay. like, oh, love. We can stay here. Yeah. Don't worry. Um, the, um, when I, I mean, the, the funny thing was, we. When I was younger, I, I experienced more uh, dance than I did live plays. Uh-huh. I mean, live plays, as we all know, cost money and um, are sometimes hard to put into the neighborhoods as, as easily. Um, but one of the things that the Ailey program did uh, when I was coming up and so robustly was um, they sent uh, Ailey 2 everywhere. That's right. Um, so Ailey 2 was everywhere. So even a kid in Liberty City, uh, growing up like I did, I got to see Revelation so many times, oh, and yeah. I saw Night Creatures so many times. Uh, and yeah. I saw, so these ballets became um, uh, ways, let me, let me take one step back. The ballets became ways in which I knew my body couldn't do that. I was mm. like, ah, 
damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I, as much as I tried, I couldn't get the sinews and the, and the flatbacks and the, and the laterals like I wanted to get them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could put it in the words. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes if you read um, uh, my work, it can kind of feel like I'm just trying to put a rhythm down. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a 5-4 rhythm. Yeah, it does. And that very much comes from uh, my influences in dance, especially uh, thanks to the Ailey Company. I mean, I, I don't know where I would be without them. And Robert Battles from my neighborhood. So it's a, that's a full circle moment for mm, me. Sure mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and like every time I read your work, I just, I, I instantly gravitate towards the body. Yeah. Like what the characters are doing. Because um, I often find myself just... Like all of this, the things that we're talking about, the things that we're saying right now, like we could be lying through the skin of our teeth, but the body never lies. Yeah, right? absolutely. And so like every time I read your work, I just see and I, 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 I try to imagine like what the body is doing, how the body is navigating through a situation, mm-hmm. through an emotion, whether it's grief, whether it's joy, whether it's sorrow, whether it's love. Like I feel all of what you're saying in your words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that comes out in both your uh, work is your love of your blackness. This is something where you talk about black skin, moonlight, of course, the skin, the color. These are things that are, and we've been doing it for a long time, but you guys have really put it front and center in terms of the way you talk about that God is in the skin, God is love, and that. So, do you want to talk a little bit about how you came to that? Because part of the journey of your work as well is journey of coming through slaughter, coming through pain, coming through difficulties, and coming to a place where I can use my work, my body, to express what I feel. Yeah, uh, it was a journey. Uh, Growing up black, growing up uh, queer, I was conditioned uh, not to really love and not to really honor or appreciate uh, both. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for the two to exist as one, like that was an anomaly, right? Um, but I remember coming across uh, Toni Morrison. It was an interview that she did, I think, with Charlie Rose, and she was she was talking about writers, and it was a writer. I don't remember who she said it was. I don't. I don't think she said who the writer was. Uh, but she was just talking about reading uh, this writer's work. And this writer went on pages upon pages upon pages describing uh, something, whatever it was. And she was like, ah, why is the writer doing this? I don't understand it. I don't get it. But, and then she said, ah, I actually do know why the writer is doing this, because they're writing with um, whiteness in mind. So something that I got, being Toni Morrison, she said something that I got within a paragraph the writer was still going on and on and on and on in terms of wanting to make sure that the white gaze understood what she was uh, writing about. So I thought about that and like I sat with that and I challenged myself, I said, Danye, you will write with black people in mind. Black people not only on the stage, but black people in the audience as well. So eradicating uh, the white gaze from my work, and then also for me taking a step further in my queerness, eradicating the uh, straight gaze from my work as well. So anyone who doesn't identify uh, with blackness or queerness, if you see my work, it's no shade, consider yourself lucky to be able to to see such, uh, I would hope, authentic uh, and 
transparent view into blackness and into queerness. And like, I always challenge myself to be true to these identities that I carry and hold with so much pride. Mm -hmm. And I thank Toni Morrison for that. Mm -hmm. Well, do you want to say anything? No. Why would I want to say anything? Okay. I mean, you know, I, I wish I was, you know, I wish I was as intentional in my work. I, 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 I as from, because of the early trauma in my life and early chaos, I was always trying to order, uh, as the black, as the old black church would say, order my steps. Mm -hmm. I was consistently trying to walk in a path that felt enlightened and both, uh, uh, spiritually connected, but also on the ground. And so sometimes that would lead me down a path that I was writing something that was terrible. And sometimes that would lead me down a path where I was writing something that I was inspired by. But either way, the, you know, I, I, I haven't until recently got my head in the game. Um, and I don't mind admitting that. I don't mind. It takes a while sometimes for the rest of us to catch up. Um, you know, you are ahead of your time, which I think is amazing in the sense that your intentionality out the gate. When I first encountered your work, I was like, oh, no, brother is out there. You know, uh, something that Ronaldo Arenas, uh, the, the queer uh, Cuban writer, did all the time is he, he talked about finding the right word and placing it down mm. and then going to sit down, have a conversation and then coming back and finding the next word and putting it right. I mean, that mm. kind of you know, Gertrude Stein intentionality, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Which is, which is, but, and I, uh, from me, I just have always been a kind of, get it out, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. too much in here. I guess you gotta get it out as fast mm -hmm. as I can, because otherwise, it'll just drive me crazy. Um, but circling to blackness, I realize that sometimes you're led that way, you know, you, you're, the spirit moves you in ways that you, uh, and, and I always hoped and prayed that were in line with um, what I wanted to say. For example, one of the one of the key moments uh, for me in Moonlight is that we we keep talk we kept talking about um, uh, Kevin and Chiron Kieran's relationship, um, and what we weren't talking about is why this boy who uh, was dark skin, mm -hmm. black and poor, was treated differently than this boy who was light skin, and black and poor. You know what I mean? Like clearly they both were in the same realm, right. experiencing the same things. They both had sexual desires for each other that we saw. And yet everybody's like, oh yeah, you gay. And see, and when I was growing up, it was so amazing to me because I had a friend who was light-skinned who didn't get the same, uh, the same toxic masculinity mm -hmm. that I got. I was dark-skinned, so I was supposed to perform differently. Right? Mm. And so, but, but that conversation is never something we are allowed to talk about, yeah, yeah. not up front. Right. We may be able to talk about it in the back room somewhere, but it's not something. And for me, I kept, everybody kept saying, well, was that intentional? Yeah, it was intentional because it it's, it's what happened. Did I sit down one night and say, I'm going to thrust us into a conversation about colorism? Mm -hmm. Nah, <laughs> mm -hmm. not at all. But that doesn't mean, you know, but that doesn't mean it isn't valid. Yeah. You know, we, you, we get to the same road how we get, we, you know, we put one foot in front of the other. Well, you talk about that in the Vulture interview you did. You talk about the difference in treatment in skin tone mm -hmm. and how that can impact a person's life. You know, you're tall, so you're supposed to play basketball. Right, you, you know, there's a whole attitude about that. Um, but you just did something that I want to point out to everybody because we're going to talk about this about naming, which is so important in both your plays. You said Chiron and then Chiron. I said right. Mm -hmm. And so, could you tell us about how you 
found, came to that name in Moonlight, and then I want to talk to you as well about the way you named some of your characters, yeah. Donye, which sounds like Kanye, right? That's it, right? Okay, you thank you. You did, nothing okay. like Kanye. Okay, that's right, okay, good, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, Kiron or, or Chiron, as thank it's you. called in Moonlight, um, it, it comes from, I, I mean, Luckily, thanks to uh, amazing teachers, I had an, an exquisite education in, in, in mythologies mm -hmm. and, and religions, um, African and European, oddly enough. I don't know how it happened, because Lord knows I'll mention something even to my African friends and be like, you know about, and they'll be like, no. <laughs> we don't talk about that. We wish you wouldn't talk about that. And um, <laughs> Wow. Hey, it is what it is. Um, but Kiron, it means wounded healer. And um, it, it's a Greek, it's the centaur that actually uh, taught Hercules. Um, and the, when I was writing Moonlight, I wanted to talk about a person who was wounded who also was trying to heal mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, so yeah, it was early. It's funny because there, <laughs> there are a lot of people who kept saying, like, you named that after me. I was like, no, no I didn't name it after Sharon. I was like, <laughs> but you know, those, it, for me, I, I'm always interested in how we are both, at, as I said before, um, both, we are both mythic and spiritual and uh, blood and stone at the same time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I want you to tell me a little bit about how you came up. There's a character in your play, uh, Sugar in Your Wounds. Sugar in Your Wounds, yeah. Aunt Mama. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, I just think of who, who are people that I know and who, or rather, what are names uh, that I would think, oh, I would know this person. Mm -hmm. um, this is someone who would be in my life. Uh, this is someone who I may encounter. Um, and so in terms of Aunt Mama, I literally, it, it wasn't anything deep, y'all. It literally was an aunt and a mama, just, oh, okay. thinking, seriously, well. just thinking about um, uh, black women being such pillars in the black community, thinking about like everybody got an auntie, yeah. everybody got an auntie that hold them down so much time after time, and everyone has a mama, whatever these relationships are like, these are uh, individuals, these black women in our community hold the community up, mm -hmm. and with our mama, I just wanted to honor both of these women, an aunt and a mama, all in one one character and one being. Well, what makes it really resonant is your play is set in 1862. Yeah. And this is a time when the Civil War is going on, but African Americans, by and large, many are enslaved. And on the plantations, the only way you knew your bloodlines was from the older women who knew who was related to whom. So is it okay for me to be with this person? Mm -hmm. Is this my cousin? It's my auntie, my, and you know, we use the term mammy, not in a derogatory way, but right. Aunt Mama made me think of that because it's really kind of a resonant thing in that moment in the history. Those were, the, they were holding the history. And then your Aunt Mama also goes all the way back to Africa with what she knows, her knowledge and her. Yeah, and like being able to hold on to a certain level of truth and, and lineage and pass that down as much as possible, right? To be able to make sure that, cause, so one thing that I kept going back to and that I keep going back to where uh, in rehearsals right now for Sugar, and I 
it, 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 it hits me every single day just wondering uh, what is that resilience and what is that fortitude uh, that allowed uh, these people, our people, to wake up every single day to do the same thing over and over again, being deemed as non-human, go to bed, wake up, and do it all over again. And the thing that I kept landing on, that I keep landing on, is hope and joy, being able to have your community right surround you and be there with you to give you uh, that grace, to give you that joy, to give you that hope. And so thinking of Aunt Mama and this character who has a connection to the past and to instill this hope into uh, everyone else that she encounters. Well, in your play, you say hope, joy, yeah. and love. Yeah. I had to add that because yeah. that's your name. Um, we can't survive without it. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that we've had to deal with and come to terms with is notions of shame in our history and our own personal lives and the ways in which we deal with that. And so part of our narrative of dealing with African-American culture and history is how do you do like Arturo Schomburg and say, I'm going to take out of that and tell the history and the stories in a way that people can understand exactly what you're talking about, this coming through. In both your, in, in your plays and in your, in your film work, there's a kind of um, magical quality in terms of the way in which you unfold your story. You, you use the textures of the people, the skin, the lighting. I mean, you know, I watched Moonlight again last night just to make sure I was fresh on it, and I was surprised at how much classical music was in the film. I was really, because, you know, of course I remember the one song, you know, the love song, but then getting that too. And then, you know, in your play, you, you have an actual, a tree that actually speaks. Yeah. And I think that's really amazing. So can you talk a little bit about kind of the influences that led you to understanding this kind of sense of surreal, being outside of the, the quote, box in terms of your writing? Uh, thanks. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it, it's interesting. I, I, again, I, if I were smarter, I would somehow find a way to, you know, link this to uh, Adrian Kennedy or Fornes and talk about, you know, the forebears of queer uh, uh, writers of color and, and how that plays into the work, if I were smarter. I'm not, right? Um, I, I know that work, and I've, I, in, in seeing it, I always rejoice that someone else has got there before me. I'm not that person. I'm never the person who needs to have been there alone. Um, it always makes me feel better to go, oh, shit, good, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Sorry, kids. Uh, that somebody else has got there, right? Somebody else is in, in the water at the same yeah. time. The, there's something about... Um, about trying to locate, um, you know, the, the, the black queer uh, feminist who came up with intersectionality. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the word itself is trying to hold two things together at once and trying to, again, not necessarily write for, but just trying to illuminate in a way for, you know, we, listen, we are not the majority. Mm. You know, we, we won't be mm. anytime soon. In this and, country. In this country. Yeah, okay. And 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 what and I don't mean that as a that that's more factual than yeah, it is anything right. else. And so when we try to relate to community, there's sometimes that you gotta tell I mean look, there's always room in the tribe for the, the shaman that can't stay in the center. Mm. Right? There's always the person down the way who's just a little off who can see things that we can't quite yeah. 
right? Mm. There's room in the community for that. And the more we make room for that person, the less these moments of surreal actually exist. Yeah. Because that person is just telling you things that you may not be able to see because you're walking on a binary, mm. right? But the person who's walking on the tracks, the person who's walking on the crossroads, the elegbas, the issues of our lives, are always just trying to tell you the two things at once. And so for me, it's, it's never been a, about trying to pull down um, something that was surreal. It was about like trying to just tell you about the two things I see rather than the one, right? Um, and I, I, fi- I mean, I find that work, I find that in Zora Neale Hurston, mm-hmm. right? Reading, mm-hmm. you know, reading that work, you're like, ooh, there's something, there's four things happening here at the same time, mm-hmm. right? There, you know, that, the moment of that great speech when, when, she, when she says their, their faces were staring at the wall, but their eyes were watching. God. You, Ooh, like right. it's more than, mm-hmm. two, you know, it's right. more than one thing. And so there's nothing about that that feels surreal to me. That feels like that's reality and. It's yes and, not and but, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Are you kidding? That, that makes sense more? in my spirit. I was going to say, it's yeah. making more than sense. Uh, mentioning Zora Neale, you know, there's a new book. I do. It just came out, Barracoon. Oof. My mom called, made me go buy it for her because I'm going home to Detroit in two days. She can't get it for a couple of weeks, so but I'm taking it to her. But I'm very excited about reading it Same. myself. Um, so in a way, what you're talking about really is a kind of healing. You're talking about work that does that. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, sometimes it disrupts. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's not always it's a, a, a scab. A scab you got right? a scab. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's a pullback yeah. because again, like it's about really locating that. I mean, look, for us, and this is something that uh, Amir Baraka, again, if I was smarter, man, I would connect these things and, and say that they, but Amir Baraka and, um, uh, and August talked about that we had as artists, which is that if we, as artists, uh, we must connect to the spiritual yes. too, mm-hmm. right? You can get as wordy as Arthur Miller, you can get as syntacty as Pinter, but for us, Two, you must have the spiritual in order for it to truly be of the diaspora in a way that makes sense to all of us, right? That connects us. And, and, we, sh- and we shun that sometimes. Sometimes I find myself going, nope, don't put that in there. Leave that over in the corner. And then I realize that that's my dumb self. That's the mm-hmm. self that's like trying to, trying to tinker with something that I, I know better, right? Um, our, our revolution, our progress, will only be made if we if we if we juggle all those things, not just one or the other. And so that part of um, our work has to be about looking at the things that go deeper. Yeah, like you said, hope is you know, if hope ain't faith, mm. I don't know what is. Right? We talk about faith, we start to get into we get into doxologies, and but hope is really just believing in the thing you cannot see. Yeah. Yes, faith. The conviction of things. That is theater. Yes, exactly. That is exactly art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something was not here before, but I am pointing at it. I am hinting at it. I am framing it. I am giving you arrows to see it. I am trying to get you to experience something that only our imaginations together can work up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I and and I look at uh, surrealism and I look at uh, magic as it can be so simple. It can be so small. I think whenever I'm having a really bad, a really shitty day, and my husband smiles at me, and everything inside of me shifts. That's magic, right? Yeah. Like that's surreal. My husband just, just being smiled able at me. To, <laughs> what do you say? Hey. Um, like that is like that. That's magic, and that's surrealism, right? Is 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 these little things, and I, I think about uh, sugar. 
before Wright and Sugar, I, I didn't understand surrealism. I, mm. didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know how it properly worked, not just in a play, but in the world overall. And what I had to understand was that it's not for me to understand because it's something larger, it's something greater than me. And you talk about the tree and sugar, how I was able to root myself in this large tree that talks and it, it moves, it does all of these things was being able to understand a very real connection and being able to understand the very unique and peculiar history that black people have uh, with nature, in particular with trees in America, right? And we talk about like blood at the root, right? And how real and how tangible that is. And so imagining what if each limb, each branch is an actual person and being able to understand that. So for me, I had to really see, okay, how can something like a tree talking be rooted in realness? Mm -hmm. And it was thinking about the history that black people have uh, in America with trees, with nature overall. And how do we navigate through that in the very real world and then in the surreal world as well? And how, like you said, that they can coexist and be one, exist on the same plane. Well, in your play, you make us understand that southern trees bear a strange fruit. Yeah. That this is a tree that really holds the history of a family in a very difficult way. And it's a tree that people know about. And we also see the ways in which that tree becomes a space for love as well. Mm. So that's really fascinating. I, I'm, I'm trying not to talk too much about the play because yeah, no, I don't no, want to give, yeah, 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 give yeah, it away. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't want to give too much away for people. <laughs> but, but, um, but, 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 and so what's, is, yo, I'm going to be fair and girling out so much right now. Uh, the, the inspiration uh, for Sugar is, I remember reading uh, Marcus or The Secret of Sweet. Oh, yes. And there was a passage with uh, Shanta and Marcus. Shanta, you? Yes, and she was she was probing in a really like tongue in cheek way to figure out Marcus's sexuality, <laughs> and she talked about uh, what the uh, masses would do to uh, the male slaves who were intimate on the plantation, mm -hmm. and it blew my mind. It blew my mind because I never even imagined me or anyone like me existing during that time period. Mm -hmm. And after going through this period of just like complete I got really upset. I got upset with myself for not even imagining myself existing during that time. Mm -hmm. And so what do I do when I get upset? I write. Uh, but I didn't immediately write uh, Sugar because for literally it was about seven or eight years I was just thinking of uh, these characters and this story, and they were just in my head, talking, going off, going on, going on, going on. And I, I, I sat down to start to write it um, after I reread, one of my favorite authors is Alice Walker. Mm -hmm. um, and I reread The Color Purple, and this was the edition uh, after the movie, after the musical, and she wrote, <laughs> And she wrote the uh, foreword, and so I'm uh, kidding a little bit because she um, she identified herself as a, 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 a naturist and just 
all of us being one. Like she took it so far that on the back jacket cover, it was a letter sitting on the top of her head. Like this is how one we are. So I'm like, oh, I don't know about all of that. <laughs> but when I sat down and when I started to write uh, Sugar, the first character that started talking was a tree. And I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this is. This tree probably won't even make it to the end of the play. But it became so important. It became so like intricate to the story that it was another character. And just talking about surrealism and how all these things are uh, connected. And I just I leaned into that uh, even more. So for uh, Sugar, I have the ancestors to thank. Um, and here on this plane, I have you to thank and I have uh, Ms. Walker to thank as well for helping me get there. Well, let me, let me just say, you know, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because I rarely get angry. I'm not a, I mean, I'm a Libra, so anger is not my, that's not where I operate from. <laughs> but, I, uh, but when I do, um, it's usually over something that feels like injustice. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the angriest I've been probably in the past year uh, was a couple days ago when I was scrolling through Twitter and somebody had clicked on a link for uh, Choir Boy, but then for Sugar, and they were like, here we go, we got a play about gay slaves. And the vitriol underneath from people who look like me towards. towards that notion. And the fact that you were a young person who read a play that happened to invite your imagination to know, to know historically that you existed previously, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that, because you know, <laughs> 2016, 2016, uh, was one of the deadliest years in the LGBTQ uh, community, particularly for, for people of color. And this kind of idea that you couldn't have existed then, you can't be connected to the revolution that we're having right now. How mm -hmm. could you? You didn't exist back. We can't be fighting for gay African you. There were no gay Africans. I mean, my dad told me that bullshit so, lo so long mm. that I actually believed it until I rocked up on some slave archives mm. in Jamaica. Yes. Mm -hmm. huh? And in Jamaica, where they had severe brutality for, uh, for slaves who were gay or found doing gay things, um, and they decided to write it down. Mm -hmm. And that's where that, when Shanta's talking about the two slaves who were, to, who were found together, who were then separated, and then the master beating them so bad and placing weights on their private parts and pouring sugar into their wounds, mm -hmm. that actually is a slave narrative. That's, a, that's an account from, from how the slaves were punished. Um, and the fact that that brutality was visited on our bodies, even then, and the fact that these friends of us these supposed allies, mm -hmm. these supposed want, wanters of the revolution keep trying to leave us in the fray when we are the toughest skin that they've got. Mm -hmm. If we still here. Anyway, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, you just, you can't, you, 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 uh, you, you imagine yourself a 13-year-old boy uh, standing on the precipice of taking your own life 
because of, because of those, those comments, because of the ways in which you were taught that you were not a part of. You imagine yourself a 37-year-old man standing on a stage mm. accepting an award, but still thinking that you are worthless to a bunch of people who don't feel like that award was for them, um, about them, that your story doesn't matter. To this day, you know, and, they, and, they, and, and that is what, you know, I, you could say to yourself you want to work against that. Um, but I think there's something more, there's something to me that's tired of talking to those people. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the way, and again, like I said, you're ahead of your time because you're like, I'm not talking to y'all no more. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to us. I'm talking to that little boy who needs to hear that actually uh, 500 years ago, you washed up on this shore too. And you survived lineage through time, brutality, oppression, and you remain today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, when I was writing Sugar, I knew uh, what I was going to be met with. And I told myself, I do not care. <laughs> because this story is larger than me. Yeah. This story is not about me. Uh, this story needs to be told. And I'm lucky enough to be the vessel mm -hmm. uh, to tell the story. Then also, I know Hotep's going to stay Hotep, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's literally nothing I can do about it. Um, and so when, when I was met with what I was met with uh, on Twitter, that was one thing. Um, but I have to be 100% transparent. Where it did start to weigh on me a bit uh, was people started to slide in my DMs, mm. saying all sort of crazy, crazy things. Mm -hmm. uh, people found me on Facebook and started taking snapshots uh, of like my post and posting it online saying, this is the Degenerates page. Um, but like I said, I knew that I was gonna be met with these things. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it let me know that there's truth in the words. Exactly. And everyone can't handle the truth. And then also I, I think about uh, Fannie Lou Hamer <laughs> and her saying, uh, until I'm free, you ain't free. Right. And, and that's what it boils down to. Until the most marginalized and the most oppressed individual is free, that's when we'll all be free. Um, but it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. And I. But doesn't that galvanize you to want to do that work, though? Because yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I get, again, like I said, I, I got upset more so because I was like, if, the, if, I, if anything, I want to, if anything, I want to protect. I, I, I'm an older brother, so my, mm. my job feels like I want to go out to protect. And I literally was like writing all kinds of responses. I was like, Terrell, 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 let it go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let it go. You'll spend all day working here rather than being way. like, you know what? I'm going to show up at the Schomburg. <laughs> I'm going to have a conversation at the Schomburg. We're going to talk about what we can do, what next steps can be. And I think, and I think for me, I, again, I'm following your lead. I just, I, I feel like, you know, my... My vision goes, yes, the people like me aren't free, but there are people, huh, there are women right now, my sisters, who don't have no space. Mm. How do I make space for mm -hmm. them, right? I think, about, I think about Dominique, I think about Katori, I think mm -hmm. about how do I make room, how do I move around, mm -hmm. right? How do I, because, th because once their liberation happens, I know that I'm gonna have my, my, my marching orders, right? My shouting orders will be on their freedom I'm papers, through. right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's like so that that to me is all it's 
it's great to hear you say that. And I also, again, I, I follow your lead, brother. Don't, don't ever think whatever you know, they say on the accolade paper, don't ever think that you don't have admirers from all around. I mean, I literally look down and go, yep, cool. Let's, where are we going? Mm -hmm. Where are we going? Those, there are those of us who, who like to lead from the follow. Yeah. And, it's, and, and it is knowing and understanding uh, that all I can respond with is the work. And, and putting as much of myself and truth and love as we we're talking about into the work. So that's why I don't need no clap back. I don't, my play is the clap back. Mm -hmm. So there we go. Well, you guys have made my job so easy today. I tell you, <laughs> I'm sitting here listening and enjoying, but uh, you mentioned Katori, you mentioned Dominique, but I'm gonna point you to one more person who I know was a mentor for you, Lynn Nottage. Mm. And I'd like you to tell that story you told National Black Theater about when you were at Yale and your assignment that Lynn gave you. You know what, this is so relevant to this, I mean, this is, uh, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Lynn, it, Lynn was the bomb as a teacher. She was also terrified. Mm. I don't know if you know Lynn Nottage. Um, she's a Scorpio. Yeah, that's already, you already. I don't know if she so. wants me to put that information <laughs> out there, but still, she, she, she was the bomb.com, but she also just was not, I mean, it, it, the work had to be done, mm -hmm. which I appreciate it, but also I was like, Lord, Lynn, just give me a day. Um, and one of the first assignments that she had us do um, was uh, a political public forum because um, she believed all work was political. She believed that it was always actionable in the right now. You had to do it in the right now. Um, and it had, to, uh, it had to grab people. You had to be able to do, get, do work and build work that was grabbing live people, not just talking to, you know, um, not work that just would work for the screen, which is another thing in itself. But if you're gonna do live theater, the work's gotta go out and grab somebody. Mm. Um, so you need to write something that's gonna go out and grab somebody. And there's a table at Yale, this was at the Yale School of Drama, um, that uh, commemorates uh, every year the women were allowed to come to Yale. Oh, wow. Um, and it shows the population growth up until the current. And so on, that's the kind of political platform that people sometimes go and, and make speeches. And Lynn was like, you gotta write a speech that's political about something you find politically charged and go do it. And at the time, uh, <laughs> Yale, uh, Lord, let's see if I have my job tomorrow. Yale, uh, Say it. you'll have it. The, the Yale police had been sending out this um, bulletin, uh, and it would say um, there was a, a black male, tall, who, who did this thing. Oh, wow. And the age range would be like 21 to 42. And that's it. <laughs> not what color shirt the man had on. Nothing. Not whether, you know, what complex, nothing. Just black male, 20 to 42. And I got stopped consistently and had to show my ID to be like, I belong on this campus. And I wrote this whole speech about just like how even in, and again, even in the midst, of, like there is no, there is no respectability mm -hmm. 
that undoes the oppression. There is no, I, can, I could run, I could be the president of this place and I would still have to show my credentials to get in the door. Like, even now as a professor, there are moments that I have to, you know, let them know who I am at coming in and out of certain parts of the place. And then, eat, I mean, just, what, a week ago, a student, is call, a student oh, yeah. called the police on another student while she was sleeping in her own dormitory. Dorm. And it's like, you know, it's, um, and so Lynn was like, do that speech. So I'm doing this speech and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get some stones thrown at me and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get kicked out of school. And I'm doing the speech and the custodians all start gathering around mm. and standing there. And they, then by the time I get down, they want, most of them leave, but the one who was in front of the library said, I've been waiting for somebody to say that speech mm. for a long time. And I remember it because I, was, I would have never done it unless she had asked me to do it. I, ne I never would have got I mean, I'm not, again, I'm peace, love, and tea. So I just <laughs> don't, don't usually cause a ruckus like that. But she, you know, again, she woke something up in me in terms of activism, in terms of speaking, speaking for people who sometimes didn't have the words to do it or the, or the ways and means, using, a, using the platform I have to move out the way and actually give some shine to somebody else. Um, because, because again, I got out of that pretty unscathed, but there are those who don't. Mm -hmm. There are those who get the police called on them at three o'clock in the morning while they're just trying to study for their next exam. And I think of those who were silenced in their queerness, like Angelina Grimke. Mm. I think about Langston Hughes. I think about people like that who couldn't have this kind of forum because of the way that our culture has been constructed. And so I'm just thankful for this time. Um, I'm gonna very quickly, I have a little questions. Okay, hello. You spoke about the um, more well-known influencers of both your writings, you know, Lenottage and things like that, but I wanted to know, before them, who were the personal, like, influencers? My mama. Honestly, my, she was, uh, so we talk about hope, and uh, we just talk about like having this resilience and this uh, fortitude. My mom was 15 when she had me. Uh, she dropped out of high school. And she then, uh, before the age of 19, she had three kids. And I, looking back on it now, uh, we definitely lived in uh, poverty. But what my mom was able to do, uh, what my dad was able to do, was surround us with this hope and with this love and with this joy where I never even knew that I existed in a space where I should feel that I should not have, that I should not be, that I was not able to make it over. And so I, I I'd always think about my mom and I think about her in terms of when I shared my truth, of uh, being queer, she set me down and she told me that, um, Danye, there are millions of people in this world who don't even know you and they want you dead. And that hit me in such a way. And she was coming from a, a, a sincere place of love, from a place of a mom letting her son know that I am here for you, but the world may not be here for you. Mm -hmm. And at the core of all of my plays, I always think about that, and I always think about my mom's words when I share my truth, and they are in like the foundation of, of my writings. If I, I if I start a dossier of people who have showed up or gave, you know the neighbors who gave me a sandwich when we have nothing, 
you know, the, the cousins who gave me their shirts off their back, I, I would be here all night. I mean, mm. uh, I, I will say, give a shout out to Teo Castellanos, who was a director in Miami, uh, a Boricua director in Miami, who uh, saw a kid whose mother was in rehab and decided to start a troop of kids whose parents were in rehab uh, and send us around the community to talk about drug prevention, but not in a way that had to do with telling people not to do it, but just showing what our lives were like, giving us a chance to put on platform what, our, what lives of kids um, whose parents were undergoing addiction and, um, and introduced me to things like guerrilla theater, where I almost got arrested. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, I, can't, I can't imagine my life without that kind of uh, early start. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. This uh, question is for Terrell, but it's for everybody. Number one, I am a Shango. I played that role in Curious Theater in Colorado, and I thank you for those words, mm -hmm. brother. Thank you. Um, I've never publicly thanked my LGBTQIA brothers and sisters from saving my ass from blatant hotepery, and what <laughs> and what that could have done to my psyche and worldview not all of them went down the road of theater mm -hmm. and didn't get introduced to the work and the beauty of your lives. So I say thank you to that. This idea, speaking of which, um, perhaps Harlem is far more advanced in this conversation than we are in Colorado. The idea that straight black men are the, black, are the white people of black people. Um, if that idea is erroneous, I would like to know why, if the idea is true, I would also know why I am submitting myself under your wisdom. Please tell me how I can stop the madness and contribute to a world in which our stories are included together uh, as descendants of the diaspora. Thank you. Um, first of all, thank you. Brother, I appreciate that. It's always, uh, it's always thrilling to, to meet a Shango. Scary, but always thrilling. <laughs> um, um, but I appreciate you. Um, I, I also will say, first of all, know that I speak for Terrell yes, and, and, not the, and not the vanguard of anything. I'm, I, I will, for me, the white people are the white people of, of the world. <laughs> You know, there's no, you know, there is no need for, for you all, for anybody to sort of put that on yourself. You don't, you don't come into the world with those privileges. You may, you may ascribe to and prescribe and try to get those, but you don't have them. And, and they will make sure you know that you don't. And so the day that you, I mean, it's real. Because again, I'm in these hallowed halls where there are brothers who believe that if they walk a certain way and talk a certain way, it'll get them these things. And then they fall out one day. And they got to look me in the eye. And I'm like, brother, I'm here for you, regardless of how you treated me previously to that. Because I know. I know what it's like. I mean, I, again, I tend to, I hang with a, 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 a vast group of artists who happen to identify as heterosexual men. And the thing I say to them consistently is teach your sons, teach your daughters, teach each. And when you see your brother or your cousin at the table, making noise about that and being a transphobe, like, speak on it. Mm -hmm. Because me speaking on it looks like I'm trying to galvanize for something I need, which is true, right? I look like I'm, I, look, if we're all at the table and, and you say I got something and I say, well, I want a little piece of that, it looks like, I, it looks like I'm being defensive just cause, mm -hmm. right? But if you ain't got, if you have no skin in the game, 
right? If you have, if you, if you have nothing to lose mm. by, if they seemingly think you have nothing to lose by that, I mean, now you know better, right? You know that our, our freedom is connected. Yes. But if you reach over and say, hey, bro, it ain't even got to be all that. Yeah. It's a difference. They hear it different, right? So, you know, that's what I, I, I would, that's what I say to them. That's what I say to my literal brother. My literal brother has a son. And I was like, the day he, you know, he was like, well, why is Uncle Terrell always hanging around with Uncle Twan? And I was like, well, Uncle Twan's cute, so tell me. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. And my brother was trying to find some, like, cockamamie way to explain. I was like, no, just tell him. It is what it is. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Yes. Hello, hello. My name is Michael Aloyde. I first of all want to say, um, every time I read your words, I feel like a spell is broken. Something that I've been, that's been ingrained in my mind is released. So I want to thank you for that. I also think you guys are great at everything you do and the words you put out. And in that greatness, I feel like there has to be decisions and sacrifices that have been made in your lives, your careers. I want to know what are some of those sacrifices and decisions you've had to make as artists, as men, as black men, to get to this place you are right now? Yeah. Um, I don't know so much for me about decisions and sacrifices. Um, I will say something really interesting uh, started happening to me um, and I don't know if it was the uh, same for you, when there was, life started to open up for me in a very nice way. Um, on the professional side, on a personal side, I started to, we, we were talking about this word joy, um, I started to exist in a space of joy that I really wasn't used to. Uh, being a black man, being a queer man, uh, being HIV positive, I wasn't used to existing in a space where there was total joy for me. Um, and I remember it was last year, a little voice went off in my head that said, Danye, everything is going right, so something is bound to go wrong. Fam. And I started, Preach. it hit me in such a way that I wasn't used like, to. Yeah. And I, I found myself in the middle of the night waking up and I started to pray over my husband, mm -hmm. negotiating with God, saying, this can happen, but just don't let that happen. Yes, come on, son. And, and, and then <laughs> when I was able to finally go to sleep, I would wake up in the morning and, and instantly go to my phone, thinking I would see endless messages endless missed calls from my dad, from my siblings, because the God forbid what happened to my mom. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is I started to throw myself into these people. I started to really uh, develop a deeper, stronger relationship, and it made me realize that all, all of the things that uh, are happening, uh, that I've been working hard for, it's great. Yeah. Um, it's something that I deserve, because I worked hard for it, but what supersedes all of that are these people in my life. So like that was the thing uh, that hit me when I started to, to navigate uh, this new space that I'm in. Um, and I am as, as, as odd and as weird as it may sound, um, I'm actually grateful for that because it made me realize like what and who are the most important people and things in my life and what I am willing to sacrifice and what for. 
Lessons. Yes. Yeah. Dropping bars, man. Dropping. I mean, look, that I I I grew up in immense trauma, mm. uh, and I I suffer these nights, and I have not gotten to the place where Donye sits of like. I mean, I wake. I literally still wake up. I mean, the one thing I will say is that the more my mm. work has gotten out there. I, I am extraordinarily shy. I know it doesn't seem like that, but if you catch me walking down the street, you'll know. Like, I'm dead serious. People walk up to me like, Terrell, and I'm like, hey, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> and, that, and that's no, I'm not, I don't, it's not that I don't like you. It's, I have so much anxiety mm. that's on This 10. is really true, because tonight when I walked into the Fam, room, I, and <laughs> I was like, okay, he's not going to talk to me. <laughs> and then we got to talk. It was in his well, space. but I, this, again, this is the space where I need to, again, I, I'm not here for me. I'm here because yeah, I yes. know I'm making room, that's right? right. I, I, uh, John the Baptist says, uh, you know, I, I come for, the, for him you, have, you know not yet. That's right. For him I, whose shoes I am not meant to fill or know whose feet I am uh, holy enough to wash. Mm. Like, I honestly believe that. I've always believed that about my life. And, I, and, and so I can show up for that. I can show up to talk about the, I can show up to keep you all here until it gets here, mm. right? Mm. I don't mind doing that. Um, but it, it does take a toll. I, 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 I'm anxious about people. I worry about people. I, I don't know what they want or if I'm okay to talk to them. Um, and I, 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 and it's, I, it's plagued me in my entire life. I mean, I, and I don't know if it will go away, but it is a sacrifice. Because um, the less time I spend by myself, the, more, the less time I actually can do this, right? Because I have less, I have, I'm less um, inked up. Mm-hmm. I'm less able. You just described the life of a college professor as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, that's your next role, too. Yeah. You know, as chair and following with Lloyd Richards, but that means you're there for those who are going through what you went through. Oh, for sure. You're there to help them get to the next level. For sure, and they never want to leave you alone. Exactly. Yes. Hi. Um, so I, we talked a lot about the basis or the foundations of like your writing inspiration. So my question is, how do you develop your craftsmanship and what advice would you give to mm. aspiring writers Excellent. who are trying to develop their craftsmanship? Because we know it's more than just talent. You have to have craftsmanship along with the talent. So how do you cultivate that and what's your craftsmanship like? I want to hear you. Oh. <laughs> um, I, you know, I can try to be, I, 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 I'm flipping about this, but I, I really am a, a practice, you know, because of all the disappointment I had in dance. Um, <laughs> No, seriously, but it grounded me in a way that made me very much a student who, you know, I, I found teachers who I was like, you're going to teach me because I'm going to watch and pray. Like, I, I watch uh, writers write. I, write. I watch them rewrite. I talk to them. I learn what they do, and I, I, try, to, I try it on, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't plagiarize, but, like, if you do something, I go, I want to learn how to do that. I will try it on. And if it doesn't work, I'm like, cool, I haven't mastered that yet. I'll keep trying it out. Um, but it's, you, you know... I, you can put yourself in your own kind of school by doing that. You know what I'm saying? You say, oh, I love, how did, how did you know, Zora lead me to this moment? And you kind of got to go back 40 pages and see how she got you there. Right. That's an education, yes. right? And that, that's craftsmanship. You're wa- literally watching how someone get, gets from point A to point B. And that, it, it's important for you to be able to break down and, meta- and, and metabolize 
the work. Um, which it, and, but it also will turn on something in your brain that will drive you crazy, and I apologize now, but you will start to do it to all the work. Like, you'll start going, oh, this is good. Oh, this is that. That's these two. Or they're, now they're going to have three of these. And before you know it, you're doing the beautiful mind thing. You're doing minority report <laughs> when you're supposed to be enjoying Harry Potter, right? <laughs> and, and so that, but it, that's a part of it to me. A part, a part of being an artist is that there's a part of your brain that is constantly metabolizing the work and figuring out ways to do it. And it, and it can be any form, really, from writing to, to, um, to music. Yes, sir. My name is Paris Creighton III, and this question is for both of you. Uh, theater saved my life, and seeing both of your work, there are moments that I will never forget. You know, it's like my, my heart skips a beat, uh, and I want to know why theater? Why do you choose theater to tell the stories that you tell? Great question. Yeah. Community. Ah, oh, this. Yeah, um, and it, you said it best, uh, it saved my life. Mm. Mm. That simple. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Well, round of applause. Thank you, gentlemen. That was Terrell Alvin McCraney, Donye R. Love, and Michael D. Dinwiddie at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. If you're in New York, Donye R. Love's play Sugar in Our Wounds is at the Manhattan Theater Club Stage 2, and if you're in New York in January, check out Terrell Alvin McCraney's play Choir Boys. The New York Public Library podcast is produced by Skylar Swenson with editorial support from Riker Schnorr and myself. <laughs>